God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that we get to be in your presence today. And we sing a song about giving everything to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to move beyond singing to actually doing what we sing. But today, as we hear about surrender and we hear about separating from culture, the influence of culture, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd speak to every one of us, that you would guide us. You'd help us to know that you love us. You want what's best for every man, woman, and child in this room. May we embrace that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you can go and have a seat. I don't know about you, but I, uh, those of you who have been around, I'm pretty excited about this R12 series that we're in right now, Romans chapter 12, and we're going through this, and so uh, just let me invite you, if you would, to, first of all, you can grab these message notes out of your program. They're going to help you follow along, you can take some notes today. I know when I um, presented these to the office staff this week, I said, you're not going to be happy with me today talking about you because there's so much here, there's very little room for you to write today. Uh, I always get that, you know, comment. So here we go. You'll have to figure out where you can write because we're going to go through a lot of stuff today as we do this. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Romans chapter 12, and you might be able to write some notes in there as well. And I just want to say this. If you don't own a Bible, we'd really love for you to have one. So if you would, if you'd just stop at the one of the uh, bookshelves in the lobby where there's Bibles on there, you see those. Those just aren't for display. Those are for you. So if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to have one so that you can read it yourself and so that you can learn. And we're going to talk about the importance of the Bible in our life. So this would be a way that you could do this. I also want to mention this, and you get the advantage that I had a senior moment in the first service and forgot to mention this book. So there will be copies left uh, as uh, for you. So that's the good news for you today. Uh, and I started reading this this week. You know, we kept saying it was a book that would go along with a study and it would be a devotional book. And, but I picked mine up this week and started reading it. And this is awesome. Uh, this is way, you know, deeper than uh, I would have given it credit for, but also it's more than a devotional. It's actually a breakdown of Romans 12. Uh, and so if you want to pick one, one of these, I think we have about 20 in the bookstore and you can pick one. You can order it online. It's $11 and out of stock. Okay, or you can buy it here for ten dollars and it's in stock. Okay, so there you go. So just help out if you wanted to do that uh, before you leave today. That would be really cool. So I just want to remind you of the context. Okay, so it's so important to know context when we're talking, and I want to talk about the context of Romans chapter twelve just a little bit. Uh, Romans chapter one through eleven, they are all about doctrine. They're all about theology, all about things that we know about to be true about God. And about people. So that's what Romans 1 through 11 are all about. And then there's a transition in Romans chapter 12, then through 16. There's 16 chapters in the book of Romans in the New Testament. And Romans 12 through 16 are all about transformation and application, all about what do we do with what we believe? How are our beliefs going to impact or change our behavior? It's about decisions that we make as we now get down where the rubber meets the road, where we live out our beliefs. So back it up a little bit. Romans 1 through 11 can be summed up this way. We sinned, and yet because God loves us, he responded in a way that showed us his love. And the way he responded was he gave Jesus Christ so that through his death, atonement for our sins, that we could be made clean and we could be brought into relationship with him. See, we're broken, 
And even before we decided that we would choose to love him, he loved us so much that he provided Jesus in order that we might have relationship with him. And so that's 1 through 11. Chapter 12 is our response to his response. So he responded by giving Jesus so that we could have relationship with him. And then chapter 12 begins our response. Chapters 1 through 11, it's about sinful condition and about what God did to make us make it possible for us to be in relationship with him. And then Romans 12, as I said, is my response to God's response. As he looked at me and he responded by giving Jesus, now chapter 12 is how I respond to what he actually did. And if you'll remember, on the first week, we had a memory verse, and it was Romans chapter 11, as Paul's getting to the end of, here's who, what, who people are, here's what God did, and he was so moved by that, he uh, wrote the verse that we memorized, in verse 11, 33 through 36, and it says, Oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So it ends with this doxology, this song, this singing. And then chapter 12 starts. So for our purposes, as we're in this series together, our purposes are this, that we each would choose to live an R12 or a Romans 12 life. So that we would say, as a follower of Jesus Christ, in the times in which I live, I'm going to live a life that would fit with an R12 or Romans 12. Because, you know, we look at this series and Romans 12 has really encapsulated in it what I need to be a growing, maturing follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that this is so important, especially in our age, is there's a lot of pressure on churches to change their message to fit in with the cultural phenomenon that's going on all around us. So that the culture is saying, here's what you can say that's acceptable, and here's what you can say that you can't say that's not acceptable. So it's important for us to know what the Bible says. The reason it's so important also is that almost every survey of people about behaviors has discovered that there's very little difference between behaviors of those who claim to follow Jesus and those who don't. And I personally think that's a problem. A problem. Very little difference in behavior between those who say they follow Jesus and those who don't. So this series is all about a pathway. It's a pathway that we can follow to spiritual maturity. Now, as I said on the first week, it's about relationships. And so we're looking at five different relationships. And our response to those and how we live out those relationships in our lives and in this world. And if we get these relationships right, we are then propelled forward with less friction and fallout and distraction to becoming the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. So last week, you want to write this down, we talked about our relationship to God and we talked about the fact that it required surrender to God. So it's about our relationship with God and our need to surrender to him. Now, I don't know about you, but this was a big deal in our group this week. This is hard stuff when it talks about, you know, coming to know him and then surrendering to him in every area of life. And so Mark already had you say our memory verse for this one, but let's just maybe do it again. If you want to do it with me right now, you could. I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy 
and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual worship. And so that's what we looked at last Sunday. And I want to cover this a little bit more this week because I do believe that, as I'm going to talk about in a minute, this is the hinge point or this is the main thing that we need to get in this series is this idea. We're talking about dedication when we talk about surrendering our lives. Now, last week, Pastor John shared uh, in his talk that there are two aspects of surrender that are important. One is that surrender is a one-time thing, is that I have to come to a place where I'm willing to bend the knee to God and I'm willing to surrender to him and say, your will, your way. And then he also shared that surrender is an ongoing thing. So it's something that I continue to do because as I learn more and more about God, as I learn more about myself, as the onion layers are peeled off, I realize that there are more and more areas of my life that I get to surrender to him. So it's a, it's a one-time choice I make, and then it's an ongoing or continuous choice I make as well. So I surrender myself to God as much as I understand today. Can't do it any more than that. As much as I understand today, then as I continue to surrender each day to him, as he reveals more about me, I'm able to surrender even more to him. So here's what he wants you to do. He wants you to surrender his de- your day, your time, your resources, your talents, your desires, your relationships, your money, your future. He wants all of those. All of those. But I was reflecting on this in my life. And I was thinking, what is it that keeps me from surrendering fully to God? What is it that causes me to struggle with this surrender to God? And and I boiled it down to this idea, is that I fail to surrender to God when I want to be in control of my life. When I don't want to go underneath his umbrella of authority, and I want to move outside, and I want to call my own shots. That's where I tend to struggle the most when it comes to surrendering to God, letting go of control of every area of life. Now, by the way, that word surrender in the Greek language, is also a word used to translate this phrase, to make a reservation, to make a reservation. Anybody ever make a reservation at a restaurant? Raise your hand, yeah. We all, we all do this. We make reservations. Well, in case you never have, here's how it works, okay? You make a reservation at a restaurant, and when you arrive, voila, there's a table waiting for you, and the table is reserved for you and has your name on it. It's been saved for you, your use. So we bring it into our context today and what Paul is writing about here. When you surrender to God, what you're saying to God is, God, here's my life. I'm putting a reservation sign on my life, on my chest. And I'm saying by this, that I am set apart for your use. I am reserved for God. So that's exactly what it means to be surrendered. I'm reserved for him. And then that surrender that you make to him is the foundation or the filter for everything else you do in life. You see why this is so important today? The foundation or the filter for everything else you do in life. And I'll just say this. It is the best thing that you can do. The best decision you can make. About 40 years ago, a guy named Alvin Toffler wrote a book called Future Shock. Anybody read that? Future Shock, so many of us might have read that book. Uh, this is what he said about people in the future. And so I put this quote up here. He wrote this in his book. Future Shock is the shattering stress and disorientation that we induce in individuals by subjecting them to too much change in too short a time. He wrote this 40 years ago. How relevant it is today, right? And then 40 years ago, he gave this solution. He says, the only people 
who are not going to be unhappy or stressed in the future are people who have learned to make what he called super decisions. Super decisions. So you make a super decision, and it's an umbrella through which you filter all other decisions through at that point. And even though he wasn't a theologian, he was agreeing with what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 12, chapter 1, by saying that when you make a super decision to say, I'm going to surrender my life fully, 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 no holds barred, holding nothing back in every area, I'm going to surrender my life to him, then now you filter everything else underneath this umbrella of saying, I've made a super decision, and I'm going to follow God with all my life. It will make every other, every other decision easier when you make this decision. And then that leads us now to the second relationship, the one I want to talk about today. And it's a relationship that, with culture. And so what we're going to talk about today is how to separate from cultural influence. Separate from cultural influence. And so you want to like buck and buckle your seatbelts now, okay? Because it's going to get a little rough as we go through this. Uh, and the turbulence, I think, is what they call it that you're going to experience as you go through this, and I hope it is turbulence in your spirit and your soul as you hear God speak to you today. But basically, what we're saying is that with culture, okay, that we are to eliminate everything from our lives that is not of God, not from God, or going to make us like Jesus. This is radical. It's radical. Now, here's our memory verse for next week in verse 2. This is what we're going to be looking at today. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul starts verse 2 by, wanting, by trying to help us understand that there's a pressure. There's a pressure that's coming at us, a pressure that's coming at us. He called it the world that wants to conform us that wants to shape us. And he says, I want you to stop allowing that force to impact your thoughts. I want you to stop doing that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this verse apart section by section. I'm going to do it in three ways that I think it's going to be memorable. So you're actually going to walk out of here remembering what I talked about today. Hey, hallelujah. And then you're going to come back next week and maybe be able to apply that in your life in some way. So here's going to be so simple. It goes like this. Don't be, but be, then be. Okay? You got that? Don't be, but be, then be. And we're going to talk about all three of those. So let's start with the don't. Don't be conformed. Don't be conformed. And that's what he says in verse 2a. He says, do not be conformed. To this world. Now, one person who translated or you know would take the Bible and paraphrase it uh, translated that first part of this verse this way and said it this: Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't let it squeeze you into its mold. It's talking about the power that the world has to conform us or to shape us. Now, the dictionary gives us a definition of conform, and I put it there, leaving one blank for you to fill in, and it's this: to be similar in form, nature. Or character. Now, the reason we left this blank is you're going to see in just a little while as we talk about another word that Paul uses is nature. So, what he's talking about is the condition of outward appearance, okay? Outward appearance that has been formed by culture as the force of culture shapes and molds you externally. So, it's a force that's coming against you that wants to shape you and mold you externally. And what Paul says is this. Don't let this happen to you. 
And that's my prayer for us today. Don't let this happen to you. Now, before we can apply it, really, I think we need to understand what he means by the word world. Now, as I was thinking about this, uh, this week, I was doing some study for some other stuff that I'm uh, working on for the future uh, in messages, and I was reflecting on the ways that we know God, and one of the ways, you know, primary ways we can know God is through, his, is through nature. So when he talks about, you know, don't let the world, he's not talking about nature, because I'll just say, you know, that for some people, that's the best way they experience God and get to know him is through nature. God made the world. Only in nature can I be in a place where everything I see, most likely, was made by God, created by him. And so I can be in relationship to him. So it's not referring to creation. The term world is referring to a set of values or system of beliefs. A set of values or system of beliefs. Values or system of beliefs. For our sake today, I'm not going to use world in my talk today, but I'm using the word culture because I think it's a word that is more contemporary and more able for us to understand. But we have to answer the question, am I going to be shaped by God-honoring convictions or am I going to be shaped by culture? I'm going to be shaped by God-honoring convictions or I'm going to be shaped by culture. And what we're going to see in a few minutes, folks, is this, is that culture is not innocuous. Culture is a power that is being fueled by a being named Satan. Just be aware of that. Culture is not innocuous. It's a force that's being powered by a being named Satan. And Satan's number one goal is the destruction of those God loves. Number one goal is the destruction of those God loves. He's called the ruler of this age. So culture is a strong and pervasive and persistent force. It never lets up. And we have to separate ourselves from the focus or the the sphere of its influence. Look at what these verses have to say about our relationship with culture. Notice how many times the word love is used in these relationships as we go through these verses. It says, starts in 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and, you know, we just stop here for a minute. The desires of the flesh would be the passion to feel. So the passion to feel in my flesh, and so it's called hedonism. Uh, the passion to feel. So he says that the desires of the flesh, and then he says the desires of the eyes, and this is the passion to have or the passion to acquire. This is materialism. And so he says there's that love. And then he says the pride of life. And the pride of life is the passion to be somebody, the passion to strive for success or significance in life in some way. This is ego. Ego, or I'll say it another way, it's self-centeredness. The pride of life is self-centeredness. He says those three things, that love, those loves, he says this next, is not from the Father, but it's from the world, from culture, from the force that is moving against us persistently to conform us into its image. And the world is passing away along with its desires. I was thinking about this. All the things that we listed there, many of us would find ourselves in the place of saying, honestly, I'm pursuing a lot of those things for my own good. And it says here that those things will burn and it will be like ashes running through my fingers. But instead, whoever does the will of God will abide forever. So one way that we can um, eliminate cultural 
influence is for us to limit our exposure. Now, I was at a banquet on Friday night, and as we were uh, listening to the speaker, uh, many of you have probably heard of Ray Johnston. You've probably been down to Bayside Church uh, many times. And uh, Ray was speaking, and he was talking about students. He was talking about young people. And he was given a challenge that adults would stand up and you know be responsible. And as part of his talk, the, one of the things that really jumped out at me is he said at a certain point, he said, it used to be that parents saw their role in the family to protect their children. So parents would protect their children from influence, protect their children from evil, protect their children from things that were coming against them. But he said, in our culture today, the parental role is to prepare your children for life, prepare them for life. Huge difference between protection and preparation because preparation means you just open up the doors and let everything in so that they can figure it out. Protection means that you say, no, there are certain things that I know my children are not able to assimilate, understand. It's not proper for them at the age they live in. Our kids hated us for this, just so you know. Protection, though, is what God's called us to do instead of preparation. Uh, and we, by protection, we actually prepare them better for the future. So we have to limit our exposure. And the number one source of cultural influence today is media. Okay, I'll just do an umbrella term, media. And you can put under there whatever you want to. I'm sure you have lots of ideas. I'm not sure if we understand fully how the media impacts the choices we make. See, folks, media basically gives us three messages over and over. So this is a place you might want to find to write down somewhere on your notes there. Um, and we don't even have slides for this. But first, media tells us that sexual fulfillment is the ultimate act of self-discovery. Media tells us that sexual expression, excuse me, sexual expression is the primary or ultimate act of self-discovery and fulfillment. That's the message that media continually gives over and over again. In fact, it's been written, it's been said that the number one value in America today is sexual freedom. The number one value that drives all of culture is sexual freedom. Second, media tells us that we're just one purchase away from happiness. You're chuckling. All we need is the right phone. All we need is the right shoes or the right deodorant or the right experience. And so the message from media over and over and over again is that if you will buy this, if you can attain this, if you can have this, you will know happiness and fulfillment. How many of you have tried this? Besides me, just to realize, it just doesn't work. You know, the latest, greatest is not because there's newer, better. And the latest and greatest is actually falls apart and doesn't work. And so it doesn't work like it was, it was you know, promised. So that's the message the media gives us. Third, media tells us that selfishness works. This is over and over and over again. Media tells us that you deserve this. That selfishness works. Everything's about you and your life and what you're doing and what you're desiring and who you are and what experiencing your experience that you're actually having. Media tells you that. And then we have social media where people go out and actually practice that. They practice the video of their life. 
over and over again, showing everyone how awesome the, li the life is through Pinterest, through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter. John, this is how awesome my life is. Everybody look at me, and we have a media video presentation of our lives that we're giving to the world, and everybody else feels inadequate as they look at that. I wish they had more. So it tells us that selfishness works. Now, folks, this is probably one of the biggest dangers I think we face from culture. Most of what we view or listen to from media leads us to believe that what we need, believe, want, desire, or think is the most important thing. What each one of us personally needs is the most important thing. And what's amazing about that, and we could have people line up here and do testimony after share after share today of people saying this true. What's amazing about that is those who seek self first and the desires of self first end up being the most disappointed and loneliest people on the planet. And many of you could share your stories about how that was true with you. But those who die to self first are rich in both. They're rich in both what they have and who they have and who they get to love. And what we need to learn is we need to recognize social cues and we need to separate ourselves from, social, from um, cultural influence. So I have a suggestion. Meddle a little bit. And this actually comes from our study through Chip Ingram. And uh, he's going to talk about this in your study if you're in a community group this week. So here's my suggestion, is that this week you take a media fast. Yeah, I really said it. <laughs> really did. A media fast. Now, some of you are already, like, hyperventilating right now. <laughs> Wanting to know if we have an ERT team with, a, with those defibrillators or whatever, you know. Like, you might need that right now. Uh, and so maybe for you, one day might be like all you can bite off to begin with. Uh, maybe it's a few days, possibly it's an entire week that you would take without a media fast. And, you know, maybe it's not all media. You just pick your selection. Maybe it's social media that you're going to, you know, I actually had some people out in the lobby saying, oh, thank you so much. I can get off of social media for a week and I can say it's your fault. <laughs> I just want you to practice. Practice what it's like to limit your exposure to culture and just see if it doesn't change your thinking because culture really will mold you into a person um, who looks like it, but God wants to mold you into a person that looks like Jesus. Now, before I go on, and this is going to make us just a little bit over today, I apologize for that. I wanted to make a clarification today. I just want to re-clarify something and restate it just so we can all be aware of my position and our church's thoughts. I just want to comment on the cultural changes that we continue to see all around us at such a rapid pace. Uh, things are changing quickly. Would you agree? They're changing quickly. In June, the Supreme Court threw out thousands of years of culture in one vote. hundred years ago, those who are living would never have dreamed that there would be a day that the Supreme Court of our land made the vote they made last June. So I just want to reiterate something as we think about the cultural influence and the pressure from culture to conform. At Twin Cities Church, we will reject the values of culture anytime the values of culture cause us to violate the values of God's word. So just know that. That's what we're going to say. That's who we're going to be as a church. We will not let the values of culture trump the values of God's word. So we just want to be real clear. 
We will not allow a culture to mold us into its image. We will stand for the truth of God's word no matter what culture says or demands. Now, I want to say it like this as well. We will do that in love. We will do that in a way that's been consistent with the way we've done church for 23 years in Western Nevada County. See, I just want you to remember, folks, the reason I say we're going to do this in love and the reason we need to look at all of this about love is this. Twin Cities Church has only one enemy, only one enemy, and it's not a person. See, the Bible says we don't battle against flesh and blood, so we're going to love people and fight against Satan. We're going to love people and fight against him. And because we love people, here's the key. This is what's so key we need to know. Because we love people, we're not going to compromise on what the Bible says. Because people need to know what God says. We need to live under God's umbrella of authority. It's the best place to live. And so we will fight to keep from being conformed to our culture. So there's going to be times, folks, because this love thing is so big in my mind that you're going to, you're going to want me to do things that I'm absolutely not going to do or say because I love people too much to box them in in a way that will feel like anger or hate. But you will know that my goal will be to have a time to present the word of God in love in a way that that person will be able to then receive it and walk with God. So that's what we're doing, okay? That's just wanted to reiterate that, just to be clear, because you know, we can get all foggy about what we're doing as a church and why. Okay, next. Okay, don't be, now but be. But be transformed. But be transformed. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, is what he says in verse 2b. Now, I want you to you know, come back, and we're going to talk about that word transformed here because it's key to what we want to look at today. And that word comes from a Greek word, metamorphe, and we get our English word metamorphosis is what that actually comes from. And basically, it's talking about an inward change that results in an outward expression. Inward change now that results in outward expression. Conformed is I have outward pressure that conforms me externally. Now I have this inward that results in an outward expression. The dictionary definition is to change in condition and in nature. That's the key word we left off. It was in the same as the conformed nature. They're both the same here, or character. Conform and transform are both about nature, to change what is natural into something supernatural in the way of transformation, but to change what is natural into something that's not supernatural or against God when it talks about conform by culture. See, the word, world wants to change your mind from the outside pressure by exerting force or pressure, always from the outside, to change your nature. But the Holy Spirit lives in every one of us who knows Jesus. The Holy Spirit wants to renew your mind by releasing his power and his powers within. And then from within, he wants to change your nature to be more like Jesus. God wants to change you from the inside so that you actually look like Jesus. Now, this word right here, transformed in Romans 12, 2, is the same word that's used to talk about Jesus Christ when it says that Jesus Christ was transfigured. Okay? Just different, just different meaning there, transfigured. And, what it, and when Jesus was transfigured, he did not transfigure himself at that moment on the mountain, but Holy Spirit came upon him and made the change. 
transfiguring him. It's also in a verse that we're going to look at in just a little bit. So maybe the best way of talking about metamorphosis is to see a picture. So I want to show you a picture now because we talk about metamorphosis, we can bring it down into biology, and we have a caterpillar becoming a cocoon that becomes a butterfly. So let's watch a time-lapse video of this now. I would applaud too. Isn't that cool? Oh, my word. God's amazing. <laughs> he made that. The first time I watched that, I was like, oh, my word. I would have never known until I watched that, that the antennae, the head's down in the cocoon, and that's what comes out first in, in, into the world. And I was like, oh, that is so awesome to see. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about transformation. It's from the inside out. So we start with surrender. We refuse conformity to culture. And then and only then can we be transformed internally, outwardly by the Holy Spirit. So the idea of transformation being changed from the inside out is teaching us that, that the mind is the control center. It's the mind is the control center, Paul says, on by the renewal of the mind. Now, this week in your group, you're going to be talking about this. So I just thought I would just, you know, touch this just a little bit as we move into this today. So let's talk about what does renewing of the mind mean. One, it's continual. It's continual. It's a process that we have to continually refocus our minds again and again and again on God's truth. So it's a continual process. Two, it's a battle. It's never easy to continue to refocus my mind on God's word. Remember, I said we have an enemy, and so it's a battle. Renewal happens in our minds as we are changed through consistent and constant exposure to God's word. And then number three, it's supernatural. Renewal is a result of the Holy Spirit. As we're filled and, and filled and filled and filled with the Holy Spirit, he has the power to renew our minds. Now look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. This is the third place that the word transformed, that particular word is used in the, New, in the Bible, in the New Testament, and it is in this verse. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. So it's about where we're focused transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we see in this verse that we become what we focus on, and he's called us to focus on Holy Spirit, focus on God's Word, focus on Jesus, and then we'll be renewed in our mind by the power of the Spirit. Now, I want to give you the process. I was reading this week and came across this, and I thought it was just said it so well that we're going to look at it from Alistair Begg. And he's writing, and he says this about this concept we're looking at right now. He says, it's the Word of God by the Spirit of God 
and the child of God, transforming us into the likeness of the Son of God. Isn't that great? That's exactly what we're talking about here. The Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and the child of God, transforming us into the likeness of the Son of God, and that's transformation. That's what it is he's calling us to do, and he's calling us to live. Okay, so don't be conformed. Then he says, but be transformed. And then the last one is, then be delighted. Delighted. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you had already filled in your blanks and you didn't have delighted there? Because you couldn't figure it out, right? Nobody. I don't think anyone in the room would have gotten this one. Because this, but this is the cool thing about the whole message. This is awesome. But be transformed. Be delighted. This is so amazing. He's saying that a person who's not being conformed to the world, who's saying, I'm not going to give in to cultural values, but instead is being transformed by the word of God, by God's Holy Spirit, discovers that God's way is best. That God's way is best. That living by God's ways gives the greatest delight and the greatest fulfillment in life. And he says this, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, I believe that every person here wants God's best for their life. That's why you're here today. Every person wants God's best for their life. And I would just say this, if not, I would just say it's because you don't understand what it is that God offers, what his best would be. So what is God's will or what is God's way like? Three words. He said it's good, and that means it's beneficial to those around you. So when I'm living in God's will, I'm acting out in ways that benefits people around me. And I'd say it also benefits me as well when I live in his will. It's in my best interest. That word good also means it's high quality. So God's will means that I'm living at the highest level of quality. It says it's acceptable, and that word acceptable means it gives you pleasure. Some translations actually have it as pleasing, and basically it's this. You'll just be glad you went in his direction. You'll be glad you went in his direction. See, some people believe that living God's way takes all the fun out of life, and I used to be in that camp, okay? took me so long to come to church and come to Christianity and then to surrender to him because I thought he was going to take all the fun out of life. Quote, fun. And what I realized is, is that following God, now that I've followed him and I look back at the tragedy of that life and even the tragedy of how it would have ended up had it not changed, uh, as I look at it now, I'm thinking, oh my word, there's so much more freedom. There's so much more joy. There's so much more delight in doing it God's way in following him. Uh, it's just amazing. And then he says, it's perfect, perfect. And so what he means by that is God's will fits you. So another translation is it's tailor-made, that it's going to fit who you are. Because it fits who you are, it simplifies life. It just simplifies life. So following God's will is one of those super decisions that I make that are going to make, and you know, I filter everything else through in life as I do this. So I'm going to close with this thought. And she'd write this down. It just really fits. God's way is the best way. His way is the best way. I ask you to bow your heads and let's pray. God, I want to thank you today for that truth that your way is the best way. And uh, that definition that we looked at, God's word through the spirit in the child of God, the spirit of God in the child of God. 
I just realized that there are people in the room still that haven't said yes to Jesus. They're creations of God, but they're not children of God. We become children of God, as John 1.12 says, by giving our lives to Jesus Christ, by surrendering to him. And so if you wanted today, you could pray with me. Maybe you're online, you're watching, or here in the room. You can pray today, and you can say, Jesus, as much as I understand this today, I want to surrender to you. I'm bending a knee right now. The surrender right now is that I believe that I have sinned. I'm telling you I've sinned. I believe that you died for me. My condition was as a sinner, and you came as God's response, and you died for me. I ask your forgiveness, your cleansing, and now, Jesus, I want to walk in your way. And now this prayer would be for all of us. I want to walk in your way. I want to remember today what we've learned. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Then be delighted. Jesus, I don't want to short circuit this, but I want to live in delight. And I ask you to show me any way, any area where I'm not surrendered fully to you today, show it to me, God. Any area where I'm being conformed by cultural influence and I need to cut off my exposure, I need to protect my mind, would you show me how I can engage in your word so that my mind can be renewed? And Jesus, I just pray that you would help me to live with delight. And I don't have to live as if the sky is falling. I don't have to live as if everything is wrong. But I can live with hope and promise in the future. In this day that you are with me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.